I felt like there were parts of my personal identity that I never really got the chance to hone in on in college, just because there, mm-hmm. there's not a class that teaches you like how to, how to, you know, how to put yourself first or how to mm-hmm. pursue a dream that you've been hoping to, you know, look more into. So I'm like, okay, let me do something for me. Hello. Welcome to Statement Mondays, where we explore how different women harness their identities at work. I'm your host, Natalie Munster, and if you need a reason to be bold today, here it is. Today is Statement Monday. Really quickly before we start, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's been supporting the show since it launched a few weeks ago. And for anyone new, please, please follow or subscribe to the Statement Mondays podcast, since that lets me know that you like what I'm doing and that I should keep doing it. If you're on Instagram, you should also check out our Instagram account, at Statement Mondays. All right, power up because our guest today is Salma Mahmood, a data scientist at Visa and a bodybuilder. I went to college with her and had no idea she was excited about bodybuilding, so this interview was eye-opening for me to learn about how this athletic commitment flipped her personal and professional life upside down in a good way. In this interview, we talk about both her reasons for getting into bodybuilding and her circuitous way into data science through a rotational program. And of course, Salma reveals how those two worlds intersect and how she has gained an immense amount of self-trust since all this started less than three years ago. I'll catch up with you after the interview and we can think through some of her most impactful points. Thank you so much, Salma, for joining us today. Thank you, Natalie, for having me. I'm so excited to be doing this podcast interview with you. I've been definitely Instagram stalking your bodybuilding (laughs) journey. And so I'm sure we will have a lot to talk about uh, here. We totally do. (laughs) So who are you, Salma? What what would you say is your identity? Yeah, so I I think like publicly the way most people perceive me usually has to do with two things like my career um, and my bodybuilding journey. So in terms of my career, I, I work as senior associate data scientist at Visa. And prior to this role, I was in a two-year rotational program for new graduates. So I mm. spent two years kind of soul-searching. And I, I rotated between four different functions in my work until I finally landed on data science and realized that that was the role for me. And then in, in terms of my hobbies outside of work, the biggest one is obviously bodybuilding and that's a journey I started coincidentally around the time I started work at Visa um, because I came out of college and I realized that I had finally I had separation between my work life and my personal life. And so, you know, I'd get off work around 5 or 6 p.m. and I realized I had the whole day to myself and I wanted to put that time towards something productive, something that I'd been waiting to pursue for a while. Um, and so I decided to put my health and fitness goals finally at the forefront of my life and started weightlifting. Fast forward a couple months, I just got super into it. You know, it's been a little over two years into my my bodybuilding journey now, but it's definitely a big part of my identity. Yeah. I so I really respect that you recognize the the new opportunities with this division between work and mm-hmm. regular life. Yeah. And then actually sought to take advantage of that. Whereas in college, we're working all the time, yeah. we have homework on the weekends. Yeah. Um, but I feel like so many people right out of college just jump into work and pour their entire life into it. To some degree, I did that too, where 
you know, trying to work as hard as possible and press as much as possible. But at the same time, I wanted a life outside of work. And it sounds like you did too. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, like you said, like at Stanford, there was never (laughs) a point, even on the weekends, like there was never a point I felt like I could turn my brain completely off and just do something Mm -hmm. for me. But yeah, I, I remember I finished work that first week at Visa and I was like, wow, like there is absolutely nothing that I need to be doing right now. And it was cool to take that time and sort of use it to work on this hobby that I'd kind of thought about starting in college. Like I always thought weightlifting was cool. And I always thought Mm. that, you know, girls can be strong and girls can lift heavy weights. Like I I thought that was a cool concept, but I also had the personality type where if I'm going to do something, I really want to do it a hundred percent. And that's kind of how it all started for me. Well, that's a great backstory. So you knew you wanted to do bodybuilding back in college as well? Because I didn't know that that was something you were excited about and into until you started pursuing it after college. It was sort of like this, you know, I I look on Instagram and I followed a couple like health and fitness influencers. And when I came across the National Physique Committee, which is the bodybuilding federation that I compete in, I looked at these women who compete and I just saw so much strength, poise, confidence. And, and then learning the hard work that had to go into producing that end result, like all the traits mm-hmm. I wanted to build, like discipline, consistency, you know, learning to put yourself first. Those were all things that were not really taught in school in a way. And after I graduated, I felt like, okay, academically, I feel like I've accomplished what I set out to do. I graduated with a degree in econ and, and I, you know, landed a great job. Um, but I felt like there were parts of my personal identity that I never really got the chance to hone in on in college. So I'm like, okay, let me do something for me. And after college, I had the mental space and the the time to pursue it. So I just kind of kept going. (laughs) And so just so we can get a better idea of what, like if you were to describe yourself before you pursued bodybuilding, how would you describe yourself? I would say I was, I mean, obviously I was very academic. I think all of us were at Stanford, but um, (laughs) (laughs) that had always kind of been the forefront of my life. But I never really stopped to think like, okay, if academics isn't the main focus of my life anymore, what else would I want to do? Besides being academic, I obviously did do, I was part of the Stanford belly dance team. So that was kind of my physical activity at the time. But that's also the type of, the type of like sport that doesn't require you to commit your, you know, a lot of your your personal time to it. Um, It almost sounds like you and a lot of us were kind of on autopilot totally through college yeah Yeah. and then after college you're like oh my gosh I can set my own priorities and so that's how you got into bodybuilding yeah totally so what is bodybuilding (laughs) yeah (laughs) for those of us who really don't actually know (laughs) yeah so bodybuilding is it's a specific training style where your goal is to maximize muscle hypertrophy which is a fancy way of saying muscle growth and so Bodybuilders tend to train in the 8 to 12 rep range to make sure that certain muscles are growing the way they want them to. And if you compete in bodybuilding, there are certain like standards that are set out by different federations. So the National Physique mm-hmm. Committee, which is the large amateur organization in the U.S. for bodybuilding, they have different categories. And so they set out different standards for shapes you can seek to emulate with your training style. Mm-hmm. So the one I do is bikini simply because that's kind of where my genetics are geared towards. And the standard that's set out for the bikini division is 
um, basically building out an hourglass shape with with muscle hypertrophy. So, and it was a physique that I liked. But there are different training styles. Like bodybuilding is not the end all be all if you choose to lift weights. There are people who lift simply to see how strong they can get. Probably better known as like powerlifting. So it's just a different goal. Yeah, yeah, different goal, different style, different like aesthetic result. I chose bodybuilding just because I like training in that rep range and it makes me feel good. So. Yeah. And so what does your training look like? I mean, we're we're basically in lockdown right now. Yeah. And so you must have had a good amount of free time to be working yeah. on this. But yeah, what, what does it look like for you? Yeah. So I did most of my contest prep um, back in Seattle, which is where I grew up and where my family is. So I was lucky enough to kind of invest in a gym set up at home. And I was training, well, I was lifting weights six days a week, basically in my off season mm. to build the muscle needed to kind of chisel out that that physique shape we talked about. And yeah. when you start contest prep, usually three or four months before your actual show, then the goal is, you know, basically you're saying, okay, I'm happy with the amount of muscle I've built. Let's try to lower our body fat percentage that muscle definition can actually show. So, it, you know, essentially at the end of my contest prep, I was doing a lot. I was doing about an hour and a half of like weightlifting every day on top of an hour and a half of cardio every day. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that must have taken over your life. <laughs> it definitely did. But keep in mind, like those extremes that you push to, they're not meant to be for a long period of time. Like mm. that was only maybe a month of my my life where I'm really pushing mm-hmm. to that extreme. And I would not recommend this, by the way, for the average <laughs> gym goer. Like this was definitely just to prepare for a physique competition. This is not mm. a training good, schedule. Good thing to clarify. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Honestly, now, like I'm, it's been two months post show, so I'm back in an off season, kind of trying to put on more weight and just build muscle. And how did it go? You said you competed two months ago. How did it go? How did it feel? What was it like? It was amazing. I mean, I remember I woke up that morning and just seeing like two years of hard work pay off in a physical, tangible way right in front of your eyes. I remember Mm. I woke up that morning. I put on my competition suit. I just kind of like looked at my physique. I'm like, wow, this is every rep, every, you know, every moment of weakness that I pushed past or every mm-hmm. time I, you know, I trained to failure. I just kind of looked at it. And I was like, wow, this is my hard work and I'm excited to show it off regardless of the outcome. So mm. it felt amazing. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best days of my life for sure. And so we were talking a little bit before this about how bodybuilding like you're you're going toward a um an ideal image yeah how does it yeah like can you tell me a little bit more about your thoughts on that is it weird to be working towards some idyllic image that someone else puts out yeah you know i i definitely thought that that was a little problematic when i learned about the division <laughs> i think for me it just came down to that having those standards to conform to only encouraged me to build out a shape that I knew I loved. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it was never a sense of like, I'm going to do this to get on stage and and impress the judges. It was literally like, this is how I like my body to look. I mean, I think people should train in a way that makes them feel, feel good, not even look good. Training is really more of a mental thing for me. But at the end of the day, bodybuilding has really taught me to embrace my own strength from the inside and out. And it's taught me to kind of go against a lot of beauty standards that were set up that, that kind of were spoon fed as women for our entire lives. Like 
instead of viewing food as something we have to restrict, I think weight training in general has taught me that food is fuel. Mm -hmm. We all need food and you can eat in a way that honors your body, that makes you feel good. It really has helped my relationship with food in general. I think that's a really good message and one that almost contradicts you know, when you first look at competitions and challenges that epitomize a body type. So I think that's a really, a really great thing to dispel. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, women were were always taught like we should be smaller, we should shrink ourselves and, and, you know, not be too loud in the meeting room or whatever, but like, Mm -hmm. it's really taught me how to just own my presence. And I, I feel, you feel good in your own skin. And that's not something I personally felt for a long time in my life. And speaking of the meeting room, <laughs> who are you? Like, what, what kind of a person are you at work? Yeah, so <laughs> I mean, there's this whole other part of your I life know, now. <laughs> I know. I feel like I feel like I have a double life <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so at work, I'm a data scientist, and I work on supporting some of Visa's risk, like predictive risk models, basically. So Visa, contrary to popular belief, it's not just it's not a credit card company at all. It's a payments technology company. And so one of the products that Mm. we produce is Visa Advanced Authorization Model. So anytime you swipe your Visa card at a store, restaurant, online, whatever, there's a risk score that's generated to assess the likelihood that that transaction is actually, you know, Natalie buying a coffee in San Francisco Mm. versus, you know, someone stole Natalie's card and is trying to buy something halfway across the world. And so it's, it's really cool. I mean, I, I freaking love my job. Yeah. The amount of variables that go into predicting something like that are things that I never would have guessed until I saw them with my own eyes. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, you know, work is definitely challenging, but I'm able to do something that I love and also, you know, have time to pursue my passion outside of it. Yeah. I want to get a better sense of who kind of who you are yeah. in your role um, you said you jumped around in a rotational program mm-hmm. and that was rotating among different roles, not yeah. just teams, right? Yeah. And you picked data scientists. How do you kind of fit into the environment yeah. uh, that you're in now? Um, yeah. So I, I was lucky enough to rotate in four pretty different functions. So I spent my first six months in a data analytics role and then I moved to data science and then I did corporate strategy for six months and then I mm. ended off with a sales role which was super out of my element. Wow, <laughs> but, those are so different. Yeah, but, but, but that's the thing. Like coming out of college mm-hmm. with an econ degree, it was the type of type of degree where you can kind of take it in a lot of different directions. Like I have a lot of mm-hmm. friends who went off to New York to do finance jobs, which was actually mm-hmm. what I had interned in before, um, before kind of joining the tech world. Um, but but with this role, so it's kind I, of a, a leap of faith. Oh, totally, totally. I mean, I I came out of my finance internships. I'm like, okay. I know I don't want to be in finance. Mm. I didn't know much about what what else is out there in the business world. And so Mm. I thought that a rotational program was a great way to try out a bunch of different things before committing to one. Mm -hmm. And I'm super fortunate to have found this program. And I feel like it's just given me the space to, (laughs) I hate to say be indecisive, but yeah, I mean, it kind of gives you the space to make a decision Mm. at your own pace. And so I wrapped up the rotational program in September. And since then, I was lucky enough to join one of the teams that I had rotated with previously. But, you know, in, in general, like, I, I think back to my time in the rotational program, and I worked with so many different managers and team members. And every single person that I interacted with was 
very support. I mean, they, they kind of knew I, I was training for something. They knew I was training for bodybuilding competition. It's mm. hard to hide. Oh, they sometimes. did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely <laughs> am pretty open about that. I actually had a manager during my first rotation who brought me a box of protein bars for my birthday because he's like, oh. I know, I know you'll like them. <laughs> birthday cake flavored protein bars. It was really sweet. Um, birthday cake flavored. Yeah. Oh my. <laughs> Um, but yeah. Wait, so could they, could they like tell that you were bodybuilding based on, (laughs) this this sounds a little weird, like your muscle mass or based on like the frequency with which you went to the gym Uh, or like, how did they figure that out? How did you talk about it? (laughs) It's definitely not my muscle mass. (laughs) I think, um, I think, you know, for, for men's bodybuilding, obviously you can tell because guys tend to get a lot bigger when they pursue something like this. But with women, for most of the year, I look like a very normal person. Okay, it's really okay. only when I'm a couple of weeks out from a show that I start to look really small and really defined. Mm. But it was a lot of things that gave it away. It was no secret, but um, showing up to work every day with not only my work bag, but my gym duffel filled with just accessory training um, training equipment that I needed, like a hip thrust pad, gloves. Like It was a pretty big duffel. On top of like so my like, gym. A, like a gym junkie. <laughs> yeah, it was like, hmm, this girl has a lot of things in her bag. On top of, I used to bring a meal prep um, lunchbox with me, which is <laughs> pretty sizable. <laughs> and so I pull up to work every day with my my chicken and and rice or sweet potato and turkey or whatever. And you know, of course, people start to wonder like, she's eating the same thing every day. <laughs> mm, so like your habits. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did have a manager who I'd also frequently run into at the gym and he was like, you're here a lot. <laughs> and I was like, yes, <laughs> I am. <laughs> so those are some things that gave it away. Got it. And was it ever uncomfortable to talk about at work if people mentioned it or were you super open about it? Like how, how did you approach that? Um, good question. I, I think for the most part, I felt comfortable enough to share. This is a company that I feel like really, you know, supports a- athletic endeavors. We sponsor the Olympics, we sponsor the NFL. And so with the physique competition, it's a little bit different because your sport is your body. It's not like a, a talent that, um, like soccer, for example. Um, I felt pretty comfortable just being myself and explaining why I do it. But the way that I the way that I describe bodybuilding or you know speak about it is not really my pursuit of this ideal physical like goal. It's literally just yeah. a self development journey. Honestly, the sport is more mental than anything. Like I said, bodybuilding is not the type of sport you can just. You're not an athlete just in the gym. You are an athlete 24 hours a day. In that you know you have to wow, yeah. you know you have to be careful with your food intake. You have to train to failure. You have to you know, unfortunately on contest prep, you have to say no to a lot of like social, I hate to say you have to say no, but it's sometimes difficult to go to social events where there's going to be a lot of food or alcohol. And, and, you know, if you have training, for example, that conflicts with that, like it's tough. It it is a sport that really, I didn't think about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it affects a lot of other parts of your life or it's, it's all super intertwined. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really something I felt like I could just keep in a box and not share because people notice things like if you go to a work meeting and there's catered food for example you know if I'm a couple weeks out from a show I'm definitely not going to be eating a sandwich that I might not know exactly what's in it because when Mm -hmm. you get to that level you're really kind of tracking your macronutrient intake to the gram and so 
it's a lot easier to do that when you have your home cooked meals and you know exactly what it's cooked with. So th this type of restriction can be tough for a lot of people. I always just keep in mind that it's just for a short period of time that I'm that strict with my diet. And then the whole rest mm -hmm. of the year, I practice flexible dieting. So I'm able to kind of participate in those moments and just be present with, you know, whether it's my coworkers or friends or any kind of social relationships. Let's pause here. It's fascinating hearing Salma talk about how much she loves what she's doing right now, both data science and bodybuilding. She seems to have found a sweet spot in terms of work and personal goals, and she is thriving. Up next is my favorite part of the episode, where Salma reveals what really bodybuilding has done for her in terms of self-perception and trust. And at the end, she shares her secret to what gets her through each day and suggests it as a habit to all you listeners who might also be looking for a little more structure. All right, let's get back to the interview. Are there any other ways in which your bodybuilding and your work worlds intersect? Like, could you see, could you notice from when you started your job and toward where you are now, how bodybuilding could have had an effect? Yeah, honestly, I think the sport has just taken my own level of self-trust to the next level. Oh, wow. And even just things like confidence in meetings. I wasn't really the most confident person growing up. I always felt like I was kind of just doing what I was supposed to do. And I wasn't really digging deep to find the parts of myself that I wanted to pursue with a sport like mm -hmm. bodybuilding. I mean, when you wake up in the morning and set out a daily intention, like my goals for today to train, to hit my macros, you know, to finish XYZ project at work, I, I literally list everything out. And at the end of the day, when I go wow. back and, and cross out those things, you know, I think to myself, dang, I am a reliable person. I am capable <laughs> of accomplishing things I tell myself I'll accomplish. And it's mm -hmm. taught me to kind of respect myself a little bit more because I know I'm honoring my own needs and my own wants. And it's completely changed my perception of myself. Obviously, this has nothing to do with the physical transformations that come with it. It's really yeah. just a journey for me of building self-trust. Oh my gosh, that description is beautiful. Thank you. Almost. And self self trust. Yeah, I think is a great word which I haven't really heard. I've I've heard self confidence. Yeah, I've heard you know advocacy, yeah. but not self trust before. Yeah, I mean, and it's something that I think is very much reflected in the person I bring with me to work. I'm able to speak up a lot more confidently in meetings because I, I've just kind of built this this image of myself in my head where I know I'm capable. I know I'm. I'm smart. I know I can, you know, do things yeah. that I set out to do. And so it really has taught me to trust my own hard work. And mm -hmm. if I spend a lot of time on something and, and really, you know, pour myself into it, I know that what I'll bring to the table, whether it's at a bodybuilding competition or even just a work meeting, it's mm -hmm. taught me to really just have faith in, in myself and the work quality that I produce. That's huge. <laughs> I'm feeling so inspired oh, even just interviewing you here. Well, I would love to ask you some questions that I ask every Statement Monday's guest. Yeah. Could you tell me about a memorable moment that you felt invincible at work? At work? Um, with work, honestly, I, I felt pretty invincible the moment that I landed the data science role for full-time. Mm. This was not something that I, you know, there, there's always the, the voice in the back of my head telling myself like, I graduated in a business program. I didn't feel like I had the technical skills always to get into, you know, a more technical role like data science. Mm -hmm. And so 
for me, getting the six month rotation on that team was was phenomenal. Like I felt like I can finally dip my toes in the water of something I'm super interested in. Um, but landing the full time role after that was like okay. Not only did I successfully complete the six months, but they also really valued my work quality and yeah. they, they, they see value in me as a team contributor. So um, I don't know, in that moment, I just felt like it kind of negated a lot of the negative voices in my head telling myself I wasn't good enough or I wasn't worthy and seeing it kind of, maybe I just like tangible outcomes clearly, but just seeing it pay <laughs> off in the form of, of a job offer was really meaningful to me. Do you think that is kind of dispelled any future fears of not being good enough just to have this this one example of being uncertain having a trial period and then yeah. them wanting you back yeah yeah totally i mean to be honest i think a lot of those insecurities i had had to do with my time at stanford like i majored in economics and as i mentioned i spent my sophomore and junior summers interning in finance and by the time i realized I didn't like finance was around the same time that I really took an interest in data, just working with large mm-hmm. data sets. And mm-hmm. by that point, there was this voice in my head that was like, well, it's kind of too late. I already specialized in this thing. Mm. I didn't think that there was any room to build practical experience in data science. Yeah. So my senior year, I actually spent writing a, writing a thesis that I still feel super proud of, but basically I got to analyze this large data set. I got to draw conclusions from it and eventually write this paper that I felt was super meaningful. But there was always that little bit of me that was like, dang, if only I had discovered that sooner, I could have done a data science internship. Mm. And then I could have, Mm -hmm. you know, gone on to a full-time role in that sense. But, you know, I still got there. I I took a roundabout way of getting there, but I still got there. And um, definitely, it was just a nice reminder that like, I will figure out a way, I will make it happen (laughs) if it's that important to me. And you, I mean, you had a nice period of time where you got to figure out a few things that you know you don't like, totally, and I'm sure that helped totally. you learn a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't think it was all a waste. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm super grateful for like having that well-rounded experience within Visa. Not only the network that I've developed, but also just the skills. There's always the stereotype that data scientists or engineers in general are not the most extroverted. <laughs> Which is not true, by the way, but I think that having time... (laughs) I mean, you're talking to another engineer, so... (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's true, but, you know, having time on the sales team, for example, I think I was really able to just hone in on learning how to be more comfortable in conversations or learning how to present Mm. data points better to a client-facing audience. So I definitely take pieces of what I learned through all my functions and definitely am able to bring it to the table in the data science role. That's really cool to have had that opportunity mm-hmm. to build out those other skill sets. Yeah. And um, what's the biggest risk you've taken? Oh, honestly, you know, in the context of, of, of my bodybuilding journey, I think one of the risks I've taken is choosing to share it publicly on social media. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, this was something that I had a lot of hesitations. I'm, I had been doing this thing for six months. I was like, this is a really cool personal project I felt like I was working on. But then I had to ask myself, do I want to put it on the internet? Like, obviously, Mm -hmm. anything you post to Instagram could potentially be there forever. And um, I was a little hesitant. I was like, do I really want to project myself in that light? Um, The reason I decided to do it is because, as I mentioned, like, this is not just a physical journey for me. I, you know, already feel very comfortable in the way I look. It was literally just the mental health tools that I felt like 
I was developing and, and just mm-hmm. the self-development. That's what I really wanted to promote and share with others because honestly, I felt like I had hit the lottery. Like I felt like I found something that <laughs> it was a passion that just resonated with me so much. If I can promote this to even one other girl and help her feel the same way I do, I feel like this whole page is worth it to me. Um, wow. Yeah. So that's, that's the reason I, I choose to share on Instagram. And it's the reason that I found you <laughs> to do this interview. And so hopefully your interview and this episode can project to even an even wider audience yeah. and help you achieve that goal even further. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the, the things I share on Instagram are not even physique related at all. Like in my, my day-to-day life, it's really just, you know, <laughs> tips on how to set healthy boundaries or tips on how to stop being a people pleaser. Like those are things that this journey has enabled me to really hone in on. And mm-hmm. if it can help someone else, then it's all worth it to me. Do you have a life motto? A life motto? Ooh, yes. One of them, I have a couple, but I think the one that resonates with me most is um, you're not what you, you're, you're not, you are what you do, not what you say you'll do. Um, Ooh. So it's, it's kind of a nice way of saying like, if something is really that important to you, you will do the work to get there. No matter you know, no matter how many twists and turns your path takes, there's nothing that can take the place of hard work, basically. And it's it's really helped me instill a lot of confidence in my own work ethic and just kind of be able to pursue these lofty goals that if you had told me two years ago as a senior in college that I would be a bikini bodybuilder and a data scientist, I would have probably just laughed in your face. Like these are not goals <laughs> that I thought were within reach at all. Um, yeah. But you know. It's you know you just gotta have faith in your own hard work and and uh, get there somehow some way. Awesome, thank you. Mm-hmm. And and I have one last question for you, which every Statement Mondays guest answers. Mm-hmm. I want to know what your tool for individuality, something core to your external or internal identity, um, like what that is. Yeah. And here we're calling that your modern day heels. Yeah. So, so Salma, in one word or phrase, what are your heels? Uh, okay, my heels are definitely the daily promises that I write out to myself. This is like a morning yeah. ritual that I do every single day. I wake up, I have my coffee, and I grab my my journal, which I keep with me <laughs> at all well, times. Is there a quote on the front of that? <laughs> yes, it says, "You are capable of amazing things." Pretty cheesy, mm. but I like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> super cheesy. Um, but but basically like I wake up and I kind of just set an intention for the day, whether it's training related or work related, or even just, you know, being present with my friends at this event, you know, not, not looking at my phone or just living in the moment. I really Mm -hmm. like to live every day with intention and there's really no greater feeling than going back to that journal at the end of the day and just crossing things out. Like, yes, I did this. I did this. It, It kind of instills like you know, you can't tell yourself, I'm proud of myself. I did everything mm-hmm. that I wanted to today. Um, and I just feel like developing that relationship with myself has been the biggest inner transformation out of all of this. It's taught me for the first time in my life how to prioritize what I truly want and not just what I feel like I should be doing. And just taking mm-hmm. that moment in the morning to reflect on like your own personal needs, mm-hmm. I think that's invaluable. And, and it's something that has really changed my my own um, inner perception of myself. So I'd recommend anyone listening, take five minutes in your morning to just set out an intention, whether it's on your phone, just bullet points in your notes or in a journal, like try it out for a week and see if 
if you're accomplishing more of the things that you personally want to be accomplishing. Thank you so much, Salma. That's a great piece of advice. Um, I try to write priorities every once in a while, but not with enough consistency that I think I can't really tell how yeah. they turn out. Yeah. Um, and it also sounds like they don't have to be super tangible. Like you were saying, being present with friends. It's not like, oh, write 10 pages. Yeah. Okay, that's a bad example. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel you. I can probably, here, let me see if I can find one that um, I would share. Sorry. Can you, can you oh, yes, please. No, no worries. <laughs> Lots of pages. Must be yeah. a rigorous, rigorous habit of yours. <laughs> it definitely is. Um, yeah, okay. So I can read th- I can read this one. So I say, today I choose to honor my reverse diet, drink a gallon and a half of water, complete all my tasks at work efficiently, train with passion, smile, loosen up, and enjoy the ride. And then, and then I write like a daily affirmation. So the one on this date was today I choose to set the standard. I will act in a way that aligns with my highest goals. I will be a role model for myself and others. I'll get the momentum going for this next phase of my journey. Let's go. It's, you know, it sounds super cheesy, but just like telling that to yourself, it kind of, Mm -hmm. it kind of just hypes me up for the day and, and gets Mm -hmm. me in the right mindset to pursue things the way that I know my highest self quote unquote would want me to. And that totally goes along with the the self-trust. It sounds like you are your biggest cheerleader. I and try I think to it's be, really important. I try to be. I mean, having like building a positive relationship with myself, I think has really just enabled me to have better friendships and relationships in general, because you kind of set the standard for the, the type of person you want in your life. Because when you know that you're your biggest cheerleader, you want others who are advocating for you and that you can also advocate for them. So mm-hmm. it's something I've, I definitely am just really proud of. Like this is probably my biggest achievement since getting out of college is just having this positive relationship with myself. Well, congratulations on that <laughs> and on your competition two oh, months ago. Thanks girl. And, thank you. And thank you so much for um, taking the time to talk to me today. Of course. Thank you Natalie for having me. I'm super honored and um, excited to see where this podcast goes. That was Salma Mahmood. This was a lot of fun for me to get back in touch with someone I haven't caught up with in a while. And like I said, I've been keeping up with Salma's bodybuilding progress on Instagram, but I never knew just how it was affecting other things, like her confidence to speak up in meetings at work. I want to touch on two things, her idea of self-trust and the rotational program she's doing at Visa. The most impactful part of this interview for me was hearing Salma talk about the promises she makes to herself, and that bodybuilding has been an extraordinary mechanism for her to practice making these promises and then following through on them. Earlier in the start of quarantine, I actually started training for a marathon, but my training was kind of all over the place. I still ran a certain amount each week, you know, further and further distances, tapering, whatnot, but I didn't hold myself to specific goals. And not going to lie, talking with Salma makes me want to go back in time and train the way she trains, both mentally and physically. So I did end up running the San Francisco Marathon route on my own in June, with cheering and cameos from lots of supportive friends. I did achieve my end goal, but I didn't pay as much attention to the process as I now wish I did. I feel like I could have learned a lot more about who I am and made myself stronger in so many other ways. 
So along these lines, and also worth noting, is Salma's intentions journaling habit. I love that she read us an example because I never would have known just how motivating they are. They're not just any old to-do list, kind of like the more pragmatic ones that I've written on particularly low-energy days. She really thinks about the person she wants to be that day, and then she is that person, just little by little, turning into the absolute best version of herself that she can imagine. And I think it's, first of all, just a really cool practice to even imagine the best version of yourself. And I have to mention a little unsolicited tip from me. When I write a list of things for the day, and as I said, mine are more generically to do, but they still motivate me. Anyway, my secret is to always complete at least one thing I've been putting off for a while for whatever reason. That makes me feel extra accomplished, lifts a small weight off my back, and, well, I was going to say maybe gives me a little self-trust. Maybe? I think I'd have to do it Salma's way to really feel self-trust the way she does. Anyway, feel free to absorb some of these intentions journaling tips that Salma talks about. Switching topics, I feel like rotational programs are getting more and more popular lately, or maybe just more cropping up. I never did one, but I've heard a lot about them from friends who either rotated between different functions, like Salma, or different teams but in the same role, right after graduating. I have a friend who's a Google APM, or Associate Product Manager, and she had the second type, so she got to try out an experimental artificial intelligence team, and then moved to Google Payments. Super different experiences, I'm sure. One other pattern I've noticed in my peers is people are staying for shorter amounts of times at companies. That might just be in the tech world, though. Not sure. But that's what I'm seeing, and I bet some of that is just a thirst for learning. Salma was able to move around a lot in her first years, which let her just learn and learn and soak up as much as possible while having all sorts of responsibilities, but without having the stress of switching companies or having to interview. Even in my job right now at a big tech firm, we're encouraged to switch teams as often as every year even to be able to continue learning. I actually switched on my one-year anniversary, and I feel like I'm still learning things every day. Cool. So as you know, this show is just taking off, so any way you can support it is truly appreciated. And that includes following or subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. And remember, be bold. Today is Statement Monday. I'm Natalie Munster, and my intern is Mallory Pilon. You can learn more about me and Statement Mondays at statementmondays.com or follow us on Instagram at statementmondays. I'd love to hear what you think of the show, and if you tag us in an IG story or post, we'll be sure to repost you. Let's also start using the hashtag statementmondays everywhere to spread the movement of being bold. My question to you is how have you been bold lately? I'll see you next Monday. Bye!